Yeah. Save some for tonight. Save a little bit for tonight. What's going on, Liberty? How y'all doing? Yeah, man. All right. Get it out your system, because I, I don't got but 30 minutes, so I can't be calming y'all down every five minutes. Get it out your system. What's going on? How y'all doing? Y'all good? We got seniors in here? Any seniors? All right. Seniors. Man, I'm praying for y'all, because it's hard out there, man. It is hard out there. I got a friend. My friend, um, you know, graduated school, did great in school, but got out and has not been able to secure a job. And so he's been hustling and struggling, and he came to me the other day and he was like, Cray, I found a gig and I think it's gonna work out. I said, cool, man, I'm excited for you. He was like, well, don't be excited just yet, it's kind of weird. I was like, what do you mean it's kind of weird? He's like, well, I'm working at the zoo. I was like, you know, times are hard, it's cool, I get it, it's cool, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do, man, you know, it's a stepping stone, you're on your way, you know what I'm saying, to being an engineer, that's the, it's a trajectory, you, you get stepping stones. But he said, no, Cray, it's a little different than what you understand, see, let me break it down to you. I get to the zoo for this job, and the, the, the manager says, listen, bro, it's not quite what you think it is. Um, what we need you to do is we need you to actually put on an ape costume because our apes are sick and kind of get in there and dance around for the kids. You're pretty far away. They're not going to be able to tell that you're not a real ape, but it's just kind of a makeshift thing right now. And so my guy was like, look, man, I'm broke. I got these student loans. Shout out to Fannie Mae. And I need a job. So he goes ahead and he says, I'm doing it. So he, he's in it, he's putting on his ape costume. You know, first couple days, he's like, you know, trying to get into it, not really feeling it. But after a while, he starts really getting into it. He's feeling them. So he's like, you know what, I'm pretty good at being an ape, man. This is not bad. He's doing tricks, he's swinging from stuff, and the kids are clapping, they're loving what he's doing. But then he gets a little too into it, and he swung himself into the lion's den. It's crazy. So he swings himself into the lion's den. He realizes what he's doing. He's in the lion's den. And he starts screaming, help! Help me! In full ape guard. <laughs> so that was weird. And um, then he really freaked out because the lion started running toward him. And he's screaming louder, please, please help me! And the lion said, man, if you don't shut up, we both going to lose our jobs, man. <laughs> It's real, it's hard out there. It's hard out there, seniors. It is a tough world, so you know, I'm praying for y'all. I don't wanna see y'all at the zoo. Um, no, anyway, uh, that's really not a true story, I'm sorry. Is it? I, I had to, but. Um, listen, I, I'm encouraged to be here because you know, y'all are students and you are gonna engage the real world and hopefully you won't have a job such as that, but you will have a job where you will have to engage people. And from my understanding, there's a lot of people here who are not necessarily going into uh, the pastorate or going to be full-time missionaries or so on and so forth. You guys are entering um, different fields, business world, the legal world, the medical world, and that's a, an amazing thing. 
um, what we tend to, to see happen is that you get into the real world and there's no campus Bible studies, there's no outreaches, there's no, uh, you know, everybody having prayer at midnight, getting together. It's real out there. And so what tends to happen with Christians, they say, man, I have this split life. I, I, I go to church on Sunday and, I, and I'm involved in my little community group, but then during the week for eight hours a day, I'm working and I just feel like, Lord, am I doing something wrong? Am I selling out? Uh, maybe I should quit my job and move to a foreign country to be a missionary. Uh, and, and they wrestle with this sense of guilt, this sense of struggle. And they're trying to recapture their college days. Well, in college, man, you, you know, you got all the time in the world. And so you can do things and you can engage and be around stuff and go to a million Bible studies and do all this type of stuff all the time, whereas when you enter the workforce, it's a little bit different. And so people wrestle with this split. It's, ah, I got two different lives. I'm going in two different directions. And, and this split is not a new thing, right? Like what people call it is a sacred-secular divide. They say, well, I have my secular life and then I have my sacred life, right? Well, did you go to school all this time and study for these tests and pass these classes just so you can get a good job, just so you can pay tithes and offerings and just so you can uh, give money to different ministries? Is that the only point of your work? And that's what a lot of Christians feel. Like, man, I'm working, but, you know, hopefully I'll get some time to do some church stuff, some God stuff. And I want to talk about breaking that split. I want to talk about breaking that secular, sacred divide. And there's, there's, there's three things that I think are, are beneficial, you know, for anybody. And one of those things is um, engaging the city and the people, right? Engage, all right? Wherever you work, engage, right? Engaging the city, the culture, the people. Engage the culture. Another thing is love. Love the people, love the city, love the culture. Engage and love. And the last thing is rehabilitate, right? Rehabilitate the culture, the city, the workplace. So engage, love, and rehabilitate. Those are three things that I think are crucial um, to break this sacred, secular divide that happens in a lot of our lives. Um, there's a young guy, you know, I tell his story often, and he uh, went to, uh, grew up, got saved in, in his uh, school ministry, like high school ministry or whatnot, became a Christian, became a solid leader, uh, went to college much like you all, was involved in the Bible studies, doing all these things, and was his campus leader, and, and you know, and it was a great thing. Now, he wanted to go into full-time ministry. And his advisors, when he was in high school, said, man, your aptitude is off the charts. You should be a lawyer. And so he's feeling a little depressed. He's like, man, a lawyer, but I want to serve God. But, you know, he realized he just wasn't cut out for the foreign mission field. And he really uh, didn't want to be a pastor necessarily. So he was kind of like, man. So he pursues law. He goes to college, pursues law. But he's fine, you know, for a little while. But then after a while, you know, when he starts getting to his, his, his serious classes in law school, all of his time is dedicated to studying law. And he feels like he's selling out because he's not as involved in the ministry things that he was involved in before. And he found himself feeling stressed out and like a sellout. Then he became a lawyer. And he was really depressed then because he was like, man, I barely have any time to do anything except go to church on Sunday. I feel like my whole life is law. God, I'm depressed. I feel like I've let you down. I feel like my life isn't counting for anything. And that was his real struggle. 
And what he had was that sacred, secular divide. He thought his work was secular and his uh, church was sacred. But let me tell you a story about a guy in the Bible. His name is Daniel. I like Daniel. Daniel's my dog. Um, it's cool. It's my dog. When I see him in heaven, I'll be like, Daniel, my dog. Um, what? It's real. Anyway, so I like Daniel. All right, let me tell you a little bit about what happened with Daniel. So in, in Daniel chapter 2, there's a king, King Nebuchadnezzar. Right? King Neb had these dreams, crazy dreams, right? It's like skinny cows and fat cows. It's crazy. It was a wild dream. Freaks him out. Dream freaks him out because back then, you know, dreams were very important. He's freaking out. He's like, what do these dreams mean? He says, listen, I want you to round up all the wisest dudes and all my magicians and sorcerers, and I need them to tell me what my dream means. He says, come in here and tell me my dream. Nobody can tell him his dream. He says, basically, off with all your heads. Now, He can do that, he's a king. Daniel was one of his advisors. And in this time period, interpreting a dream would be seen as a pagan practice, an evil thing, right? But Daniel says, well, the earth is the Lord's and everything thereof, so let me go to God, because God can interpret anything, right? So Daniel goes to God, God gives him a revelation of what this dream is, Daniel goes to the king, he interprets the dream, the king is like, unbelievable, this is amazing, I would like to make you my chief uh, advisor. Now, Daniel didn't say, whoa, 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 you're an evil king, evil empire, that's a secular job, being your advisor, I think I want to go into the ministry and just advise the priests in Israel. He didn't say that. Daniel took the job. The reason why he took the job is because he saw it as a beneficial role. He was now able to advise the king with godly wisdom, right, from God's perspective. Daniel didn't say, ah, I got to take the secular job. Daniel said, there's no division between sacred and secular. This job is my ministry. This is where I'm serving God. Right? As I advise the king, I'm advising him from God's perspective. And so the job in and of itself was Daniel's ministry. He broke the secular sacred divide. He, he didn't have this mentality that said, you know, there's a duality between secular work and sacred work. He saw all work as sacred. You know why? Because he had what we would call a biblical worldview. Say that with me. Biblical worldview. All right? That means you see the world through the lenses of the scriptures. That's what a biblical worldview is. Let me tell you a little something about a biblical worldview, okay? There's been a study. Y'all laughing? Something funny? I got something in my nose? We cool? Okay, just checking. Um, tell you something about a biblical worldview. All right, here's some statistics. Funny. 4% of all Americans have a biblical worldview. 4%. 4% of Americans see life through the lens of Scripture. 4%. Now, I know what you're thinking, you go to this Christian school, so clearly you see things from the biblical perspective. Well, let me give you another statistic. 10% of all Christians see life through a biblical lens. It's real rap. 38% of American adults believe the Bible, including the Old Testament, was written decades after Jesus died. 33% did not know Isaiah was in the Old Testament. 49% believe the Bible teaches that money is the root of all evil. Some of you are like, it is, right? That's what what it says. No, it says the love of money. 
Just read it. 12%, this is my favorite, my favorite statistic. 12% believe that Jonah, Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. We got to do better, Christians. We got to do better. Now, most of us tend to have bifocals. We tend to see the world with a the split. There's sacred and there's secular, secular, right? That's how we see the world. We have this split as we look at the world. But how did this happen? Like this, this, this great divide, right? Like we, we, we all do it. We all see it, right? I grew up, the way I grew up, I didn't necessarily grow up in church, but the times when we would go, we would ride to church, and on the way to church, we would listen to the Christian music. But as soon as church was over, we could listen to whatever we wanted to. And it was kind of like, how come we can do that? My mom was like, because church is over. It's back to this life. Funniest thing is my homeboy Chris, me and Chris, we were riding around doing all kinds of stupid stuff, stuff we didn't have any business doing. As we're riding around, being two young, dumb teenagers, every time we would pass a church, Chris would turn down the radio, which was cussing out everybody and their mama and talking about all kind of misogyny and drugs. And then when we passed the church, he'd turn it back up. And I'd be like, what, what are you doing, man? He's like, man, we got to respect the Lord, man. <laughs> so apparently God only cares about this part of his world. He doesn't care about any other parts of the street, just the part of the street where the church is at. But that's this divide that we had. I, I, I mean, I, I, I remember being in church with guys and, and something would slip out of their mouth, a cuss word or something like, man, come on, man, we're in church, man. Don't say that. And this mentality has run rampant with us that there's a place for that and there's a place for this. Non-believers picked it up from us. Don't, don't respect the house of the Lord. Well, the earth is the Lord's and everything thereof. Respect the earth of the Lord, right? That's how Daniel saw the world. So what we don't understand is that we live fragmented lives, right? Church and family rarely speak to our work and our public life. I'll be one way here and another way there. Um, we're, we're, we're just doing religious things, and that's what the world is doing as well. They're following our pattern of religion. They want to clean themselves up because they think that'll get them to God instead of understanding everything belongs to God. It's not about don't do this here and don't do that there. And so what a lot of us fail to realize is that Christianity is total truth. It's not just religious truth. Most Christians think Christianity is the truth about salvation and sanctification. We don't realize Christianity is the truth about everything. It's the truth about politics. It's the truth about marriage. It's the truth about economics. It's the truth about television. It's the truth about media. Christianity is the truth about everything. And so we've limited things to certain categories. We say, oh, this is this and this is that. This is secular, this is sacred. Instead of saying, wait a minute, God, doesn't everything belong to you? And aren't we here as a product of redemption to go out and redeem culture and redeem things? Not saying we're going to make this world a utopian place, but I am saying we're here to demonstrate the power of Jesus in our lives in the culture. And so what, what, what I want to talk about is just a, a couple of things real quick. There's the good, there's the bad, and there's the redeemable, right? Let's talk about the good. What is good, right? Um, this, this whole great divide, it came about when the Greeks thought that matter, stuff like this microphone, was evil because it, it, it pre-existed God. 
And instead of understanding um, that, that God is the creator, like I said, Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything it contains. So nothing is inherently evil, right? Humanity is evil. We're the ones that mess up stuff. And so Genesis 1 repeats over and over again, God made it and it is good. God made it and it is good. God made it and it is good. So things are good. Paul in 1 Timothy 4.4, everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if received with thanksgiving. It is good. Dancing is? Thank you. Movies are? That's right. And any married people in here know sex is good, right? These are good, but we've demonized them in culture. We've said, oh, no, 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 those are bad. Those are bad things, right? Well, we've even gone on so far to say secular is bad. Secular is just the, the, the absence of, 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 of an overt religious thing, right? Like a, 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 an insurance jingle is secular, right? But it doesn't mean it's bad. And we've said that things that are spiritual and religious are good. Well, that's not always the case. There are some people that worship cows. It doesn't mean it's good. If your religion is to worship cows, it's, it's not a good. So, right, these things are good. And, and that's what Daniel was saying. He was saying, you know what? Dreams are good. Dream interpretation is good. We, it's been used for evil practices, but it belongs to God, and so we're going to take it back. And, I'm, and God, let's, let's interpret dreams for your glory instead of doing it for the glory of man. So when you get a job, you say, Lord, let me do this for your glory. This job is good, right? That this very same lawyer that I was talking about earlier began to understand, wait a minute, law is good. And all this time I'm spending in law, I can really begin to change the face of what law looks like. I can be a lawyer that tells the truth. When people want to get divorced, I can step in the gap and try to help them understand that they've made a covenant before God. Right? Like, I can use this as my ministry in so many ways. I don't have to have this split and say, well, this is my secular job, but here's my ministry job. I can see everything that I'm doing as honorable to the Lord and good. Well, what's bad then, Lecrae? Some stuff's got to be bad. Well, let me explain. When creation fell, it's because humanity fell. It's not like the earth lied. It wasn't like the, the trees ate the fruit and was like, oh, sorry, Adam, we messed it up for you, bro. Adam did it. Humanity fell. So we're bad. It's called the consequence of authority. If I don't clean my house and I don't brush my teeth and I don't wear deodorant, it's not, it's, it's nobody's fault but mine, right? I messed up. So when you look at my house and you're like, that's haunted. No, it's not. It's just I haven't touched it in six years. <laughs> the house isn't bad. It's the consequence of authority. I was in charge and I jacked it up. Humanity is bad. Humanity's hearts are falling. It's not the music that's the problem. It's the heart of the person that is creating the music. So let's not demonize the music in and of itself. Let's not demonize movies in and of themselves. It all goes back to the heart of man. That's what's bad. Right? What we like to do is we like to demonize things. I, I was wearing a skull on my shirt one day, and this kid was like, Cray, you're an Illuminati. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. They got you. And I was like, why do you say that? He said, you're wearing a skull on your shirt. That's evil. I was like, it is? Because I got a skull in my head. I hope that was not evil. 
right? We've, we've taken things and we've deemed them as evil when it's really just the hearts of men that have made these things seem like they're evil. It's what you call structure and direction. God structures something, humanity directs it in a completely different way. If I had a butcher knife just like this, you'd be like, horror movie, psycho, he's a killer, run. But God made the metal and the ore for us to make these knives, and all I have to do is take this knife and use it to carve a turkey and feed the homeless. Right? It's not evil. It's the heart of men that decides to use it for evil purposes. It's not bad. Your job in the real world does not necessarily have to be bad. How are you going to have a redeemed heart and enter into that field and redeem and rehabilitate the culture around you? That's the challenge. That's the struggle. So, again, like I said, it's the consequence of authority. Well, what's redeemable, right? Like, obviously, some stuff we have to reject. Like, you don't just say, oh, you can redeem anything. If that's the case, right? Like, no, obviously there's some things we have to reject, right? Prostitution, right? Prostitution isn't something we redeem, but what we have seen is that a a, a sinful heart has has, uh, directed a gift of love and, and, and physical intimacy and used it for an evil purpose. And so the redeemed picture of what's happening there is a marriage where two people have intimacy. So we don't go out and say, man, we're gonna be prostitutes for Jesus. No, that's not what I'm saying. There's some stuff you reject, but you have to ultimately look at what did God create and how is this being directed by the hearts of humanity in a way that's evil, right? God made, gave us the intellect and the mindset to do all these things, to make movies, to be doctors, but we use them in, in ways that either don't glorify him or do glorify him. And my, my challenge to you is that you would use your vocations to glorify God. And so how does it look? Well, this is what Genesis tells you. He says, be fruitful and multiply. What does it mean to be fruitful and multiply? It doesn't mean just have a bunch of kids. I got three, but it's cool. Um, Be fruitful, have families, build churches, build schools, build cities, start governments. That's what being fruitful means, and subdue the earth. What does it mean to subdue the earth? That means harness the natural world, take control of the resources that are in front of you, right? It's planting crops, it's building things, it's designing computers, it's composing music, and it's doing it in such a way that it honors God and it glorifies God. doesn't mean that you put a cross on your computer software so people will know you love Jesus. It means you just do a great job at it so it can serve people and that glorifies God. It doesn't mean that every song you write is going to have the gospel spelled out. It just means that you're going to operate from a Christian perspective and paint a picture that, it, that honors God. You're going to tell the truth about it. Right? Um, so, so redeem things. And again, I'm going to just go back to what I said initially. If you want to really practice this, you have to engage people, engage culture. You have to love people, love culture, and you have to rehabilitate. You got to see yourself as a rehabilitator, all right? In terms of engaging, right, this is loving the people around you, loving the language and and, and understanding it. You know, I grew up loving hip-hop, and... You know, when I became a Christian, I didn't know any Christianese. A lady asked me, are you saved? I was like, what the heck are you talking about? Saved? What does this mean? Save? I save the game on the video game. I don't know what you're talking about. And I didn't understand. And so I became a Christian, and here I am with my tattoos and my earrings and my love for hip-hop, but I love Jesus now. And uh, it wasn't that 
some guy who was just like me, who was like, yo, 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 what's about Jesus, son? That's not what happened. It was, it was a blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy from Kentucky who said, I don't know anything about you, but I know Jesus, and I want to learn you and understand where you're coming from. This brother sat and watched Boys in the Hood and Minister Society with me one day just to understand what in the world was going on with me. That's engaging. He was engaging me. He was understanding where I came from. He wasn't just saying, oh, that's, I can't do it. Right? He didn't have to do that. Loving. Loving the people around you, right? This is, this is not being disgusted with your city or the stuff you see and saying, oh. It's saying, man, I love these people and I want to reach them. I love these people at my job and, and I want to I wanna help. It's not, it, it, when, when, when Paul walked in, in, in the book of Acts, when he walked through the city, he said his spirit was provoked by the sin. And he was moved to do something about it. And that's what I would hope you would do. As you enter the workforce, your spirit may be provoked, but you're moved to do something about it. Doesn't mean coming to your office, putting a Bible on the table, and, and wearing a t-shirt that says, ask me about Jesus every day. All right? I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying, like, that's the extent of what we think um, engaging looks like. I'm talking about being helpful. I'm talking about doing your job well. I'm talking about loving people. I'm talking about engaging them, asking them questions, getting to know where they're from, getting to know what they love, enjoying stuff that they enjoy, reading the books that they read, even if you're like, oh, I don't like this book. But understanding why. At least read the book review. Never read Fifty Shades of Grey. Read the review and know enough to know y'all shouldn't be reading that book. I don't think it's good. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. It's my opinion. It's my opinion. So I got the mic. You don't. I can say what I want to say. Just saying. <laughs> Um, and then rehabilitating, man. God gives us this cultural mandate to subdue the earth. We're called to build this alternative city. What, what, what does it look like when, when we have healthy families, when we have uh, biblical views on business and economics and law and politics? We've redeemed them instead of letting Satan, the prince of power, just drain the life out of them. These things belong to God. Economics belongs to God. Politics belong to God. Family belongs to God. Medical science belongs to God. God created science. So we go into culture and say, this is not yours, Satan. This is not yours, world, flesh. This belongs to God, and I'm a representative of his kingdom here to demonstrate what it looks like when a redeemed person enters the workplace and says, this belongs to my God. That's what I want from you all. That's what I want to see you do, is to engage. Christians, we're so scared of culture. You know, Christians remind me sometimes, we remind, we, we're, like, we're like kids who don't know how to fight. Right? You ever see a kid who doesn't know how to fight, and he has to fight one day? You either run like, ah, or you just say, mm. We don't know how to fight, right? But, but the kids you know how to fight, like, what you got, man? Put them up, put them up, come on, what you got? And, and I want that to be us as Christians who know how to engage culture, who are not afraid. We tend to say, oh, it's bad in the city, let's move to the suburbs, start a suburban church, and have a suburban group, and help each other out, and say, yeah, it's really bad over there, and they're on their way up here, so maybe we have to move further out. Right? I live in Atlanta where there's all kind of crazy stuff going on. 
All right, I ain't gonna shut y'all up. I ain't got but four minutes left. Y'all gotta be quiet. Um, but I live in a city, right, where there's all kind of crazy stuff, and I'm not running from it. People are like, Lecrae, what are you doing hanging out with these rappers, man? Engaging them, meeting them where they are, loving them, and trying to see Jesus rehabilitate them. And that's what your role and your responsibility is in culture. Don't run from it, right? Look at Daniel. Daniel put himself on the line. He went and interpreted these dreams by the power of God. God did it. He not only saves himself, he saves all these pagan magicians and sorcerers, and he becomes an advisor to the king. I didn't have any example of what it looked like when Jesus gets a hold of somebody from the urban culture. I have me. I was the best piece of evidence I knew that Jesus could change anybody. He changed me. Jesus Christ's blood was spilled for the redemption of humanity. The Bible says you are his workmanship, created for the things that he has preplanned, the good works he's preplanned. You are his workmanship. The Greek word there is poema. You are his poema. That means his poem. A poem articulates the heart, the mind, and the character of the writer. You are a representation of God's heart, mind, and character in this world. You are his workmanship. His blood was spilled out for your redemption, and you are a picture of that redemption in this culture. So wherever you are, you demonstrate what redemption looks like. You take law, you take politics, you take science, you take medicine, and you redeem them for the glory of God. You use them for his glorious honor. That's what you're here for. His blood purchased this world, and it belongs to him. If there are not Christians involved in every aspect of this culture and this society, there's no representation of God there. There's no visibility that God owns this. Satan does not own this world. It belongs to God. He's used you as his ambassadors to make known his kingdom come, his will be done. God bless y'all.